Welcome film industry professionals, movie aficionados, and aspiring filmmakers. This is your podcast, Cinema's Pathway. Brought to you by Paradoxical Films, I'm your host, Howard Brand. Join us on a journey behind the camera, and most importantly, beyond what we know about film and the craft of filmmaking. So why don't you sit tight, grab some popcorn and soda, and let's go ride on Cinema's Pathway. Welcome to the third episode of Cinema's Pathway. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Today we're going to be talking about something that was once described as behaving truthfully under imaginary circumstances. We're of course talking about acting, and that quote came from Sanford Meisner, one of the most influential American acting teachers. Our guest today is an award-winning Miami-based actor and musician. We're happy to have him here. I'm pleased to welcome Johnny Atrocity. Johnny, welcome. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, Howard, for having me. Johnny, let's begin with talking a little bit about your background and your journey to how you got to where you are today. You were born in New York. Your acting background really comes from the theater world. You're also a musician. How did you eventually find find your way down here to uh, South Florida? Uh, well, Howard, um, growing up, I was raised in a military family. So um, my mother, she moved down here to Florida where she had met my father and uh, they got married. And from there, I went up to Minnesota. And uh, he worked He worked in the Coast Guard, too, by the way. Uh, that was his military branch. So he always needed to be near a source of water. So we went to, uh, we would live in Florida. We went to Minnesota. After that, we had spent like a year or two in Louisiana. And then we'd go back to Florida. But it would every single year would be a different year for me uh, moving to different places and uh, going to different schools even. That's, that's got to be hard. As a veteran myself, I, I understand the sacrifices family have to make, especially how hard it is on kids. Moving to different na- new neighborhoods, new schools every year, how did you learn to to adapt to that? Did that help formulate things in you that eventually you were able to use as an actor? Honestly, I, I think a lot of my social skills came more so in my middle school years when I uh, my, my parents were divorced by then, and I essentially was pretty much landlocked for a while in Kansas uh, in uh, my elementary school years. And around my elementary school years, I didn't have much of a social life uh, because it was very hard for me to try to reach out to new friends. And every time I did, I, I wasn't really the cool kid, so I was kind of the misfit that would hang out with other misfit kids, and um, which was nice. I made, I made some good friends, but then uh, I would uh, you know have to unfortunately leave so uh, it was it was quite sad, but it was it was cool as a child being able to see these new different places and um, to have that under my belt. It sort of made you a little more interesting uh, when you talked about it to other people. Did you find that watching movies or watching theater were you able to use that as a little bit of an escape from that? And and was there one was there one movie you saw or one show that you saw that made you say, you know what? I think I want to be an actor. Yeah, I think there's a, a few choices I think I would have. I mean, I was watching movies ever since I could remember. Uh, I mean, I, I would I would watch old reruns of whatever was playing on the TV. I would watch Austin Powers. You know, uh, as like a five-year-old, I probably shouldn't have been watching it. But uh, I was watching like Liar Liar. I was watching hits from the 90s, you know, things that my mom had lying around on VHS. But one distinct movie I remember was King Kong, and that was the one that had uh, Jack Black in it, the newer one. Or not, I guess not the newer one anymore, but uh, the 
second to newest one. That was a very important movie for me because um, his character was a director and the idea of him going to this island and the way they captured that production-wise, I mean, the whole thing was just so impressive to me and it, it, it showed me it showed me like a whole new world that I'd never known before. And I was, I was obsessed with King Kong as a kid, mainly because of the movie. And I remember telling my mom, actually, from that age, like, I want to grow up to be a director. I'm going to film the next King Kong. And uh, I think after that, towards my teenage years, um, there, there were a lot of inspirational films for me, but, but mainly a lot of inspirational people as well that I started looking up to. Who were some of those people? One in particular that stood out to me, um, I remember, I don't know what year it was, but it must have been the year that 12 Years a Slave came out, a phenomenal film. And there was an actress that I had never heard of, and I, I was a teenager in uh, high school, and I was in the drama club, so I was very interested in these things at the time. And I stayed up to watch the Oscars, and I saw, uh, this. I believe her name was Lupita Nyong'o, a wonderful actress, and I'd never heard of her before. And I saw her win an Oscar for her first major uh, work that she had done. And, and they were like talking about it like this was her right out of acting school and everything. And I, I thought, wow, that, that's just, it's so inspirational to me to, that, that someone could, could do that and achieve something like that. that. I think that's when something in me started to click a little bit more like, like this could happen, you know. It's it's amazing when you see a an actress or an actor really break out in their first roles and really be re- rewarded for it. You know, in in my lifetime, going back a little further, Marissa Tomei and my cousin Vinny um, is an example, and then Jennifer Hudson in Dreamgirls. It's, it's really inspiring to find that. But you you mentioned King Kong, and what's interesting about King Kong, that movie is remade every twenty years. I think the first one came out in the thirty. And you could see it was the really bad uh, special effects, the planes flying <laughs> on that, um, and and the remake. So as 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 you grew up and you saw different movies, what type of acting did you want to veer into? Did you want to go more into comedy? Did you want to go more into drama, uh, romance, other types of things? As a kid, I was definitely more of a comedian. Um, even in in class, sometimes I would put together skits. And I would just try to get other kids to laugh. Or in high school, even uh, when I was in the drama club, I would do a lot of improvisational material. And I would always try to find some kind of way to work like a comedy scene into it. I was very funny when I was in my acting element. That's, I think, where I felt the most free was doing comedy. But uh, it's funny since my last film is totally not a comedy. It was a very, very dark, serious film. But that's something I discovered only after high school that I was able to do these more complex, serious, uh, psychological even type characters. And if you were to ask me, I'd say that's more what I gravitate towards now. But it's very difficult doing those type of roles. Can you talk about some, you mentioned you, you did the one the one film recently. What, what plays and shows have you done that really stand out in your mind as uh, wonderful experiences that you've had? Well, I've definitely done uh, quite a few through high school, but um, I can't think of the name right now. It just escapes me. Uh, I did do a, but I did do a theater production with um, my original acting teacher. Uh, right after high school, I joined uh, a school called the University Center for the Performing Arts, and that's where I had met uh, Gilda Pianelli, this wonderful 
uh, teacher and director. Uh, she's done many, many wonderful things in her life, but uh, more important to me, she was a great mentor to me. And uh, she would put on productions there at the school that I would I would sign up for. And and it was, there was uh, Untidy Endings. I'm I'm just remembering it now. Untidy Endings was the name of the production, and uh, it was a very very amazing experience being in that school. So being down here in South Florida, you know, we we don't have a huge film industry. There seems to be a pretty vibrant theater community. Are you finding opportunities to to act on the stage down here? I think they're definitely there. I think it's it's up to the actor to look for them. And I, I partly blame myself for not having so much work from COVID because I, I, I blamed COVID for everything. You know, I can't get a, a work as an actor. There, there's the pandemic going on. But I have personal, uh, personally seen my friends who are actors as well. And they've, they've been getting work, surprisingly to me, to find out during the pandemic, even after or right at the start. I, I, I think there's definitely a lot of opportunities, especially now that everything's much more cleared away. Yeah, COVID definitely impacted everything in ways I, I don't think anybody ever imagined what it would be, and a lot of stuff was being figured out as it went along. Um, I mentioned earlier you're also a musician. Has that served you well on stage? Have you been able to incorporate being a musician into any of your roles? That's interesting that you say that because uh, the the music is sort of, I, I guess, my stance that I was taking now from not having so much work uh, as an actor. I, I wanted to do something different because I, I felt very accomplished with the movie I had just done. But I felt there was a whole other element of my creativity that I was missing. And I felt that was my music that I hadn't released. So uh, I think acting and just being a performer in general makes you better for whatever you're doing, whether it's like public speaking or, you know. But as a musician, I think it, it makes you something else completely when you can actually be a somewhat of a, a theatrical, you know, persona about it. That, that, that's a great point. There's a lot of wonderful, really talented musicians, but there's a difference between being a great musician and being an entertainer. Somebody who could actually be on, say, you know, the Freddie Mercury's of the world, the ones that people will, will pay money to see. So you having a little bit of a triple threat. You know, you're a stage actor, a film actor, you're a musician, you, you can sing, obviously. Are there differences or similarities between performing on stage in a show, uh, a theater type performance, as opposed to a musical performance? Uh, definitely. They, they both have the same sort of, you know, blocking, I guess you would say, but, uh, you know, and then and, and sort of memorizing the lines and things like that. But I think musical productions become much more serious because you're dealing with incredibly precise timing with the music, with the choreography, and multiple people have to show up, and it has to, it has to flow together well, so nobody can 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 mess up, and um, nobody can miss the rehearsals either, because then that 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 person becomes a weaker link in the whole assembly. So I, I think musicals are a little a little more stressful and more demanding, at least from my experience. But they're also more fun too if if you let them. Okay, so speaking of fun. What was your most memorable musical performance? I've actually only been in one musical performance. Okay. I don't like musicals. Okay. But um, I, I would say the, the one I did, it was, um, I, I couldn't remember, but it's uh, from way back in high school, a theater production I had done. Let, let me re rephrase that question. 
What was your, do you have a most memorable performance as a musician where you perform live in, in front of a crowd? I'm actually currently making the music. I just released a single uh, last month. And I have a plan to release probably about two more songs before I start to uh, perform live. But I did actually have an opportunity to perform my music um, uh, at my acting school and in front of the acting students. It was a very interesting sort of experience that um, we, I would basically just uh, play my guitar out for everybody, the music I had. And we would do a body movement sort of acting exercise where you let your body flow with whatever is happening with the music in a artistic way. So if it was chaotic, like rock, people would start moving around faster. If it was slower, uh, people would kind of be like seaweed, you know, moving around. So it, that was a really unique experience that I've had performing live. It's pretty amazing when you think about how symbiotic really music and acting are that you can act in silence, but just music, emotion that goes into acting. It's really a... Uh, it's got to be a benefit to you knowing a little bit about both, especially the timing, the timing piece. I know music, that's so important. So making that transition from the stage to screen, how did you decide to do that? And what really inspired you to say, I want to give uh, screen acting a try? I would say towards the end, latter years of my high school, that was a very important shift for me because I wanted to pursue a career like any person graduating high school did and of course there's so many different careers available to you I wanted to be a firefighter I thought at one point I even did the training at the fire academy for it while in acting school and um, something happened to me where I, I won an award for a, um, a thespian competition that we did in our high school district and a lot of people were congratulating me in the class telling me how, how very excellent the performance was People telling me, I really hope you become an actor after this. And I'm thinking like, oh, my mother would never let me do something like that because it's just not practical, you know. It, 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 and then your parents tell you it doesn't make any money and that kind of ends the conversation. But I, I, I had a few conversations with teachers and people would just come in and, and drop things in on me like because they knew I was an actor and my teachers. So they would drop things in as they were telling me goodbye for the last time. Like, I hope I see you famous one day. I hope you do this. And it, it felt like I almost had this burden now. Like, I'm not even doing this really for myself, but I'm doing this for everybody else, really, who believes in me. It's really it's really amazing. I, one of the things I love about this show is hearing the journeys that people have been on. I don't, you know, there's no really blueprint or really no concrete path to becoming an actor. Everybody's done different things. And those experiences really tie in to your performances. Um, so it's fortunate that you've had all that. Uh, this is a great conversation. We're going to get more into this. We're going to talk a little bit more about acting as a craft. But before that, we're going to take a quick, quick break. We'll be right back. And we're back. This is the Cinema's Pathway Podcast. Again, I'm joined by actor Johnny Atroski. Johnny, I think one thing that a lot of audience members, whether seeing a movie or going to a live performance, what they don't realize is how much preparation, thought, energy it really takes uh, for a performer to put on to put on a good show. I mentioned Sanford Meisner at the beginning of our show. He created what's called the Meisner Technique, where actors focus on 
the other actors more than themselves. People are often talking about, talking about method acting, where actors really go deep into character emotions and motivation. There's some tales of method actors that are legendary in themselves. There's the famous story, which may also be an urban legend, from the 1976 film Marathon Man, where renowned method actor Dustin Hoffman literally stayed up for three days prior to filming a scene because that's what his character had done. Upon learning about this, his co-star, the great Sir Lawrence Olivier, remarked, My dear boy, have you just tried acting? So I want to talk about and ask you, how do you prepare for, for a role? What is your preparation process? How do you develop characters? How do you get inside them? You know, are there methods that you use? Well, growing up in high school, at the drama school background there, I think it's very interesting that I started out in my drama school. They were teaching a little bit of method in class. They were teaching us about Stanislavski and all these different types of, of wonderful techniques. And graduating from there, going into the university center where I had taken it more seriously, uh, we were using what was called the Eric Morris system of method acting which is, of course, based on all those wonderful things. But uh, a lot of it is so focused on different exercises. And there's many of them that you can do to explore the character and to, to help you because not, it's not like a one-size-fits-all for each exercise. Some things might work better for you. Um, and it's kind of been a sort of trial and error process for me as far as uh, when I memorize a script, sometimes I'll paint pictures of the words um, as I'm memorizing them line by line. And that'll that'll sort of come to me better when I'm doing it for a monologue. But uh, if I'm doing something like an actual character that I need to study deep into, that's where I essentially, I try to become as, as much of that person as possible to the point where I'm essentially just living and breathing and thinking like this person. Uh, even in the film I was just in, it, it, I was doing so much just for that role uh, that even after the movie was out, I was still dreaming dreams, but with the, the psyche of that character, no longer with my own psyche, which it can be scary sometimes, but it's it, it's just a, a thing that happens when you're just so devoted to it. And, and that's a fascinating point you bring up, the ability to stay in character consistently over you know whether you're doing a, a live show and you're performing sometimes twice a day you know for a week straight or especially when you're filming a movie where you could be filming the same scene over multiple days staying staying in that character how hard is that as an actor during a you know a multiple day or or a long shoot uh well definitely during a long shoot it's difficult for the movie that i was just in antonia there was really long takes that we had to do, uh, really long shooting days that we had to do. It would be over 12 hours or 14 hours, you know, on set. And I would, I would be up in the early in the morning. The set didn't even start till night. So I was up like, uh, over 24 hours sometimes doing some of these roles. Uh, and the scenes were, were very grueling, very physical, very, uh, mentally draining, emotionally draining. So it's not like you see a movie and then you see a, a, a five-second scene. You know, you think that took like, you know, a few minutes to make, but it, it takes hours just to, because you got to do all, do all these different close-ups. You have to do different angles. So I would have to just constantly, uh, every time the director said cut, I would have to 
sort of just keep that character in the back of my mind. And then you, it, it became easier the second and third day. It really did become like a switch rather than using my exercises that I was just talking about that would personally help me. Uh, I, I didn't even need that at, by that point. I would just essentially come into the set fully on. So you mentioned long shooting days, 12, you know, even, even 24 hours. Can you walk through really what a typical workday on set would be from, from the moment you arrive, you know, getting prepared, getting makeup, going through everything, and what a typical workday would look like for you on set? Sure. Uh, I, I can speak as far as for my role in the film being the, the star role in it. Uh, I had quite a lot that I would have to have done before the filming even began, before the, the film was uh, uh, really put together, the film crew. We had to all show up. We had to all make sure everybody showed up, which was its own process. And then, um, of course, then you, you go into, you know, getting your costumes ready, making sure everybody has the props, you know, it, it's, there, there's, there's all these tiny things that, uh, we had to keep in mind, like, uh, different files, you know, things like that, uh, backups, batteries, and, um, of course, uh, checking the environment too, making sure everything was okay before we even, uh, started to get onto the craft. And then the makeup comes after that and then costuming and, um, you get mic'd once you're fully, dressed and from there you pretty much have a little bit more time to yourself after that's done while everyone's doing the crews doing their thing and setting everything up for you you have a lot of time to be by yourself work on the script or talk to your other co-stars even or talk to the director to to see what you need uh to fulfill for the day how far in advance of shooting did you receive the script and and what's your process do you just go through the script the first time to get a feel for it? Do you really just focus on your character? Do you focus on where you have to react to other characters? It's actually extraordinary because um, the film had uh, casted already my role months before me, but unfortunately something occurred where that actor wasn't able to uh, perform the role, and I was called in to audition for that movie a week before it was uh, supposed to film. So realistically, I only had maybe five, maybe six actual real days of, of sifting through the script and, and learning it by myself. So it wasn't a lot of time at all. And um, it, it, it was very, it's, it's very possible to do those things in a short amount of time, but it is very difficult. I think what helped me is I take the line whenever I'm reading a script and I will do the entire line, whether it's a sentence or a sentence and a half. And then I'll repeat that, and then I won't look at the script, and I'll, I'll say it to myself. And then I'll, I'll take the second line with the first line, and then I just keep doing that until I get to three, and I'm doing one, two, three, one, two, three, four lines. And then I eventually I've done the first, second, third, fourth line so many times that, you know, I don't even have to worry about the rest of the script. So that's been working with, for me very well. That's awesome. We uh we talked a little bit earlier, you know, coming from the theater background, uh, you know, when you're on stage, everything is always the first take. You know, you don't get a chance to do it again. Did you find that a little bit of a relief when you were filming a uh, a movie that if you don't get it right the first time, you could redo it? Do you really like that first take? Do you like having multiple takes where you could try different things? Yeah, I definitely like that. Like I said, it does have its uh, cons with how, how long and lengthy that process becomes. But 
of course, it takes away that stress factor that you get from theater where you spend months and months and months and you have to get it just right, like you said. But with film, I actually was a little stressed for that because in a way you're still you're you're wasting people's time if you're not prepared for it. So if you come into it thinking, oh, uh, I don't have to memorize that line because we'll just do a 50 takes of it. It doesn't work like that because, uh, one, people don't want to work with people like that. That's just, you know, common sense. But also, you're wasting so much valuable, precious time that could be used to to, to actually get the work done and work on another scene, to, to not have everybody stay there as long as, as it needs to be, you know? Absolutely. Um, we also talked about rehearsals. We talked about how, you know, in theater, you have a lot of dress rehearsals, there's it's, it's a very rehearsal heavy um, type of performance as opposed to shooting a film. What was the re- rehearsal process? Did you get a chance to, I know you came on late to the filming, but did you get a chance to rehearse with some of your fellow actors or was it just a, a rehearsal as you go for the scene? Well, we'll run through it once and, and hopefully we, we get it. We get it the next time on camera. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting. Uh, certain scenes we or certain actors, I should say that I had a lot of scenes with, I would maybe only meet them once or uh, twice before the filming actually began because it was so close in time. But um, for one of the actors who I had one of the biggest scenes with in the film because it was a sex scene, and I didn't have uh, an opportunity really to practice with him or meet him beforehand, but except for right, I'd say right before we did the scene of uh, 20 minutes before we were actually going to do the the take for that scene, they told us, um, you're going to be in this room. You guys are going to get to know each other for the first time. Get physically comfortable with each other. You know, whatever exercises you as actors need to do. But after you're done, we're going to do this scene in one take. We're going to try to do the scene in one take is what my director told me. And so that was essentially the, the extent of practice I really had. I didn't have too much practice except for really in my own room and occasionally I would go over to the director's house and uh, I would do some warm-ups there for costume and uh, trying to see what it would actually look like before the filming began. It's interesting you, you, you bring up film, filming a, a, set, a sex scene. One of the more newer positions on film crews is the intimacy coordinator, especially the last few years. Those have really risen to become important parts of the process. Was there an intimacy coordinator on this film and what was it like working with them that's interesting i've actually never heard of that i would say that if there was one it would be it would have been the director because um it was just it was uh the scene was just to myself the actor i was doing the scene uh the sex scene with and the director so it was a very intimate sort of uh captured moment and he was there the entire time and he was prepping us before it the entire time he was there even after for the close-ups and things that we had to do. Uh, he was taking care of us the whole time, made us feel so safe and so comfortable. It kept letting me know all the time, you know, if, if there's anything uncomfortable about this, we will stop. But he also let me know, like, if I feel like you're not fulfilling something here and this doesn't look believable, I'm going to stop it. So it was, uh, it, it, was a very, it was a very special moment because I, I had to put a lot of trust in him for that and... And I, I thank him for that because I really do feel he handled that very professionally. 
there really is so much more to it than just learning lines and learning where to stand. We're going to talk more about that right after a quick break. But first, we'd like to thank two of our partners that helped make this podcast possible. Cinevideotech and ComTV. We'll be right back. This is the Cinema's Pathway Podcast. Again, I'm joined by actor Johnny Atrocity. Johnny, I think one thing that a lot of audience members, whether seeing a movie or going to a live performance, what they don't realize is how much preparation, thought, energy it really takes uh, for a performer to put on to put on a good show. I mentioned Sanford Meisner at the beginning of our show. He created what's called the Meisner Technique, where actors focus on the other actors more than themselves. Sure, I think... Uh, the two key differences I can think, the first one being, which I talked about before, you really have to perfect yourself and your character because uh, you only get one take. But the beauty of theater is that it, even if uh, you mess up and you have a tendency to mess up, it doesn't really matter as long as you're able to improv well. And even in your character, you can actually add something where if you have three different dates or show times. You could have a different performance each night, which is what makes the theater so amazing to watch. But um, I think the second key thing is the most obvious. You're, you're, when you're doing film, you're dealing with very subtle facial features. You're dealing with eye movement, even close-ups. But when you're taught as a theater actor, you're taught to act big because you have to um, project yourself to hundreds of people in the audience possibly or thousands of people even and sometimes your microphones don't work as well sometimes it's just a a floating mic on the on the stage or something and you have to really be able to project well you have to make big arm movements even the 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 movements you make uh, blocking around the scene are, are much more elaborate than you would find in a movie where you might just, especially in a horror movie, you might just have subtle facial features or eye movements. I think about a classic example like uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There's there's a scene there where it's just her eye movement, but it's it's brilliant acting and, and it's brilliant uh, imagery. But you couldn't do something like that on the theater uh, the same way. It's, it's so interesting. You talk about, you know, the eye movement, the projection that's on there. When, when you were acting in the film, did you ever find yourself kind of reverting back? to more of a stage actor or were you really able to to separate the two and become a film actor? I think during the parts of the performance where I'd be a little more flamboyant or start dancing or, you know, more act out more mannerisms phys- with my physicality uh, and incorporating my theater body work experience and all the different acting exercises I've done. That helped me a lot to achieve that. But uh, I think one thing about myself personally is I'm just a very radical, dramatic person. So if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it like times 10. And that's where theater was just a beautiful thing for me. I could just be the loudest. And uh, the it, it it's almost like a, a contest to see how much of the audience's attention you can grab. So I would try to work that into ways into my cinematic approach like how can I do this subtle thing but how can I make it work really well and and I'm always striving to achieve that that sort of outstanding next level thing I'm always trying to push myself there so really looking for opportunities for you to be able to dial dial it up to 11 
as, exactly. as I would say, really pushing. You mentioned earlier that one of the things you enjoy when you're performing on a theater is over different days, you can make little variations to the character and try different things, different performances. Is there one character you portrayed in the past that you really did that a lot and really enjoyed or that, that really stands out? The performance I had mentioned where I had won an award for during the district um, thespian competition I had been in through high school. It was called how to um, something like How to Kill a Dragon, I believe. And it was a Dungeons and Dragons inspired sort of play, which was just incredible. And I played the role of the dungeon master, who I think that's what it's called, who uh, essentially was the guy creating the whole story. And he was this geeky nerd, but when he put on the robe and, you know, like in D&D fashion, role-played the dungeon master, which was my character, I, I became this sort of... Uh, I guess, wizard type of character, this sort of magical being in the show. And there were moments I remember where an actor missed the cue because we were dealing with Dungeons and Dragons. So we actually had live prosthetics that we would apply to the ca characters to put them like through like, you know, all sorts of cool like costumes. We had like a demon character. We had different lizard looking ones. It was really awesome. But the downside with that performance was we had to get the character the, ca the cast member out of the character into their regular school day uniform look for some scenes and then they would go back into the D&D world with the makeup on so when we were waiting for this one cast member to get his prosthetics on halfway through the show this was the second night uh, the character wasn't coming out and he wasn't coming out on the queue that we were waiting for and it was, I think, maybe like 10 seconds of just silence. And I broke the silence and I said something like, oh, well, I guess he's watching the Power Rangers. Because this was like based in the 90s, this uh, real life version of the aspect of the play. And it was amazing because this goes back to the method acting. All of us in that cast were method actors, even at such a young age. And that guy was such a, he was so in his to his role that when he came out of the show... Uh, room where he was doing his costuming, he actually came back out and said, sorry, man, I, I was just watching some Power Rangers. And we didn't even rehearse that. We didn't even none of that. But we were just like riffing off each other in between performances. And uh, we were in character for those three days, like, like, uh, truly. How far in advance of shooting did you receive the script? And, and what's your process? Do you just go through the script the first time to get a feel for it? Do you really just focus on your character? Do you focus on where you have to react to other characters? I do. Uh, when I was in acting school, and it's funny you mentioned Whose Line Is It Anyway. It's one of my favorite shows I would watch uh, in high school growing up. And it was very inspiring to me. I, I would love just the idea of getting a topic, be, uh, getting a skit, and literally it, it turning into anything. It could be a surgery in the in the middle of the ocean, and you could be Mario. And your brother there, your acting partner could be Luigi. It's 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 wild, like uh, where you. It's it's a true practice of imagination, is what I what I'm going with that. It's just such an imaginative, creative, childlike expression. Yeah, and and we talked we talked earlier about different type of roles that you like to play. Sounds like you've done a wide range of of roles. You were in the uh, the movie that we talked about. You've played a dungeon master. What are some of the other roles? that you've portrayed in the past that are varying and, and different from each other? I would say that um, after high school, when I was doing the productions for the acting school that I was in afterwards, the university center, 
there were a couple roles that we did some live productions for that involved some really dark psychological stuff. And I became very gravitated towards those type of roles and um, specifically like serial killers or um, psychopaths. And uh, for some reason, my I, I just had this natural ability to just capture a psychopath really well. And it, it just came so natural to me to be the ability to harness all that anger and rage and, and, and put it into a, a crazy display. That's where I had the most enjoyment. But also at the same time, because I did a method too, it was uh, it was very draining for me to have to do those roles. Oh, I, I could imagine. Are there are there any actors or actresses that you really look at for inspiration? Anyone who's either their performance, their career, or other stuff they've done that you really look up to? Uh, I would say Lupita Nyong'o is my first choice just because, um, like I said, if it wasn't for her showing me that she achieved that and she could do it, I wouldn't even be here right now, honestly, because she, she was just such an inspiration to me. Um, aside from that, my some of my favorite actors of all time, I would say, are Leonardo DiCaprio, of course. Uh, I, I'm very much into people that that are very invested into their role, but but they don't look like the same person in each role. Like not to hate on people, but but you know you have like the the, the stereotype cast type of, of actors out there in Hollywood who are still doing movies now. And it, it becomes a bother for me to watch some of the some of the modern actors these days. Like, um, it, it, it there's there's a, a level of uniqueness that's missing that I don't I don't see. Like you get from Leo DiCaprio, like you get from Lupita Nyong'o, these type of or Brad Pitt as well. You know, some really wonderful actors who I feel are very versatile, and they don't allow themselves to to be typecast. Those are those are some great points. We've actually have talked in some previous podcasts about the importance of the story and how the story really drives, you know, the performance, whether it drives the show, drive the movie. When you're in, in either a, a live show or the film that, that you're in, how important was it to you to really understanding the story, really understanding, especially your character's arc? I would say not only understanding the story, but the entire context of what the story was about dealing with the whole transgender issue dealing with uh, even uh, prostitution and um, an entire world of, of, of living that a lot of people are not used to seeing and that I am not used to seeing as well and I, I've, I've not ever had experience in. You know, I, I've only had the, the subtle feelings of feeling like a misfit, like an outcast, like, like I don't belong somewhere, but I've never felt it to the true extent that an individual like my character would have. So a lot of research had to be done of real life people, uh, not just the story, but real transgender people in the world and listening to their stories, learning uh, what this entire situation and history of the whole topic is. And, 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 and it, was be, it became a very big learning tool for me to, to be so much more aware uh, of this side of life and taking that into, and bringing it into the role allowed me to play it truthfully, I feel, and honestly, rather than to look at it like it's just some character study, like a psycho killer or like, a, you know, whatever else, like a, a historical figure. Like for me, this was a this was a very important thing to make because it was dealing with a, a huge aspect of life that needed to be done very, very well. Yeah, it's definitely a, a difficult topic and a delicate topic. 
to address. But one thing I've noticed in South Florida, and I wonder if you've noticed this too, we've South Florida has really become, I think, a hub for LGBTQ films. I see a lot of the short, you know, especially the short films, and a lot of the Miami-based film festivals really showing a lot uh, of those. And kudos to the directors. I know a couple of filmmakers uh, that have tackled that topic. Do you see that as something that is going to keep on going? This community are those type of films that you want to continue to be a part of? Uh, like I said, I don't want to typecast myself. And that's something I felt was happening with the psychopath killer roles I was taking on. I was getting into such a horrible mental place because of that. I wanted something different. And um, this role came to me perfectly. And while it's still a dark role, it offered me a lot of hope. Uh, just because the character, I think, is just such a hopeful, optimistic character. But um, I, I would love to see more of these types of movies happen. And personally, for myself, for my own future, I, I feel I might want to perhaps become more of a director, uh, like I had mentioned with my King Kong fantasy. But um, I think if I could allow an opportunity to make these types of stories happen, that would be uh, absolutely wonderful because I'm all about exploring real world topics like this. And, and I want to bring a, a, as much you know, as, uh, as I can into that type of uh, effort, into that movement. Johnny, you brought up something interesting earlier. You talked about that in one of your stage performances, you were working with prosthetics. Can you talk a little bit about that? I, it must be interesting using prosthetics on a stage where most, most people are used to seeing them in film. Yes, it's definitely very interesting, especially using uh, large prosthetics, because again, you have to be very dramatic, very big on a stage. But I think that's just such a, a beautiful lost craft that I don't see even in films nowadays, which is what prosthetics look great in up close, uh, are, are just those gory features that you love to see. But um, with the theater, it was a very troublesome process because you have to apply it, you have to make sure it sticks and that it's not going to... You know, you're not going to have the devil have his horn fall off in the middle of his, uh, you know, performance. So that would just be ridiculous. So with films, you can get away with much more. But um, unfortunately, I just don't see that that much in films with the prosthetics. And it's uh, I'm really happy you brought that up because for our next episode, we're actually going to have Mike Maloney on, who is a makeup and effects artist. So I hope our listeners will come back to hear that. I'm glad that you touched on uh, where you want to go and what's next before you. That's an area that I that we're going to explore in our next segment. So before that, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Cinema's Pathway Podcast. Hello again to our listeners. I'm Howard Brand, and we are joined today with actor Johnny Atrocity. Johnny, this has been so enlightening to me. One of the things I mentioned earlier I love about hosting this podcast is getting to learn not just the different crafts uh, that people do to contribute to making a film, but really learning about the people that we have and the guests on the show. So I want to talk about what what you're currently working on and what do you have coming up? Definitely. I um, just released a single, like I said, uh, working towards my music career in that aspect, trying to put out a couple more songs you can if you'd like uh, anybody listening to check me out on spotify youtube apple music it's everywhere essentially uh you just type j-o-n-n-y atrocity a-t-r-o-c-i-t-y and i'm pretty much on everything yeah johnny your music is is really awesome we're actually gonna play a little sample right now for our audience to listen to 
that was great and that's so impressive that you put that all together by yourself i i think i could hear a little bit of a jim morrison in the doors inspiration in that what are some of your music inspirations yeah well thank you very much i mean um that's definitely somebody i I was looking to uh, as inspiration as well as um not really just him but also just i say a collection of great singers from uh i wanted to bring that old style of just very confident, suave sort of singing that uh, I feel is missing from a lot of, I don't even know how to call this today's contemporary style of singing. It sounds very repetitive to me, so I wanted to go for something more vintage because I honestly feel myself as a sort of a vintage soul. And um, that was definitely the aim of that as a huge inspiration, Jim Morrison on me and Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, all these different wonderful singers have definitely had a huge inspiration for me. Definitely, definitely some of the greats and the classics in there. Where can our listeners download or listen to your music? Uh, it's actually available on anything that you can stream it on. If you just uh, search my name, Johnny Atrocity, it's spelled uh, J-O-N-N-Y-A-T-R-O-C-I-T-Y. And uh, the song is called Let Me In. You can find that on YouTube or Spotify or Apple Music. So Let Me In, that's great. Do you have any other songs coming out? Yes, I'm actually currently, I uh, have a song loaded up on my laptop that I'm going to work on when I, as soon as I get home. And uh, I'm thinking about calling that one Sacred Lines. And uh, it's actually going to be more of a heavier song, a little bit a little bit more rock to it. So I'm really excited for it. So it really sounds like you have a couple of different paths that you want to go down. You're, you're definitely going to continue with your music. But you also mentioned before that you may want to go into directing. Where do you see yourself going with that? Definitely, like I said, I really like to take control of my own path. And uh, I feel even for anybody listening, if they feel like they're not getting enough work, uh, I mean, there's no one stopping you from creating the work yourself. And that's what I did with my music. I I, I did all that by myself, essentially, and I, I had to learn how to do it all. But overall, it worked out very well. So my plans, I'd say I want to do a documentary maybe sometime next year. I'd like to start something with something small in that regard. And I would eventually like to see myself becoming a, a director of features and, and series in the future as well. Do you have a topic in mind that you're thinking of doing a documentary about? Yes, actually. Um, I'm, I'm trying to get a lot more people aware about the UFO topic because I really find it fascinating how many UFO encounters have been increasing, especially since 2020, it seems. Uh, it's, there's so much I can go on about it, but it's, uh, it's very fascinating to me. And there's a lot of real people's stories and experiences, including my own experience I've had, which actually, if I didn't have the experience, I wouldn't have even chosen to, to do this documentary really. So I want to, I want to going back to like the film I, I was in where I felt that was a great opportunity to tell an overshadowed sort of life and a a very challenging topic that has had a huge impact on many people's lives and many families as well. So I feel this is a a similar topic that is that has absolutely affected many people that I, I think would make a great thing to cover. 
Yeah, it sounds like also that could be a very interesting topic to cover in, in feature films. You know, UFOs and you know whether it's the actual UFOs, controversies and cover-ups always always seem to gather gather a good audience. Um, as far as acting, where do you think you want to go with that? I think um, aside from being a Tarantino type of putting asides here and there inside my own uh, movies that I might make, I think I definitely do want to pursue acting for other uh, opportunities that come. But um, I do see myself also potentially just being so busy with my my own productions, really, that um, those would probably come, I'd say, after my, my work is fully finished. Great. Johnny, you're, you're obviously a, a man of many different talents. Uh, we've heard your music. You've talked about acting. If our listeners want to either get in touch with you or follow you on social media, where can they find you? Uh, well, just the same name as my uh, artist name on Spotify, Johnny Atrocity. You can look that up on Instagram. That'll be the best way to find me on there. I also have a YouTube channel where I'll be talking about lots of different things and posting music on there as well. So there's there's a uh, those two platforms, I would say, are my biggest ones for people if they want to follow me. So for the YouTube channel, just type in your name as well, J-O-N-N-Y Atrocity? Correct. That's great. So, Johnny, you mentioned before that directing is something that you want to get into. Is that something that you see in your future? Definitely. I think acting was a great experience for me, and I'm a, uh, I'm a huge fan of being an actor, but I feel like there's, there's something I need to do more than that. I feel like... Um, like I said, I told you I'm a very radical person. So, Johnny, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Cinema's Pathway podcast. We wish you the best. Thank you very much. I really appreciate everything. To our listeners, thank you again for joining us on the Cinema's Pathway podcast today. Be sure to tune in to our next episode where our special guest will be makeup and effects artist Mike Maloney. This has been a presentation of Paradoxical Films. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Our director is Mike Maloney. Our producer is Juliette Esan, along with associate producer Victor Ferreira and executive producer Freddie R. Rodriguez. Please visit our website, www.paradoxicalfilms.com, for more information about today's episode. You can also leave any comments or suggestions for anything you'd like to see on a future podcast. Thank you again, and we look forward to seeing you again next time. Lights out. <laughs>